Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. It's been a few weeks. Things have been a little bit busy. We had the draft, the Futures game, All-Star Week in Seattle, a lot of travel back and forth. So uh, it's been a little while, but we're glad to be back on with you. Uh, we've got a very, very, very special episode today, uh, one I'm very excited about. Uh, we're pleased to be joined by Pirates area scout Adam Barasa. And we brought Adam on because he was the signing scout for 2021 number one overall pick, Henry Davis. Uh, Davis obviously made his major league debut this year and was drafted as a catcher. He's now playing right field for the Pirates and has quickly assimilated to the major leagues and been one of the more productive young hitters in the Pirates lineup. Adam was kind enough to join us today. Uh, he's on the road traveling, doing what scouts do to kind of just talk about, first and foremost, his career. Uh, he has a really, really interesting backstory. You know, so many scouts we bring on were former coaches, and Adam has that in his background too. But he actually was a pretty impressive player in his own day as well. Adam was an all-conference center fielder at Wake Forest, was a national defensive player of the year at Wake, a standout defender in the outfield, was a sixth-round draft pick of the Rangers in 2003, played a few years in the minor leagues, and was also uh, an all-star in independent ball to finish out his playing career. Worked as a scout for the Padres, was an assistant coach at Cincinnati, and then ended up scouting again for the Pirates. And again, was at the forefront of the scouting and signing of uh, eventual 2021 number one overall pick, Henry Davis. Adam was kind enough to join us today from his hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky. Adam, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So obviously, being the signing scout for a number one overall pick is is a pretty cool accomplishment. But before we dive into Henry Davis and the process of signing him, I want to dive into your playing career a little bit because you were a pretty decorated player in the ACC yourself back in the day. Uh, you were an all-conference center fielder at Wake Forest, and you were the National Defensive Player of the Year. You were known as one of the best defensive center fielders in college baseball your heyday. You were a two-time Cape Cod League All-Star, really decorated playing career, drafted in the sixth round by the Rangers in the 2003 draft. When you think back on your playing career, what are some of the lessons you feel like you can take from that and that have helped you become a better scout because I mean you you know how difficult this game is and also how difficult the transition from college baseball to the pro side is yeah I I I think um it is hard and and I think the players that you like you find yourself being harder on because you know how hard it is sometimes um so so trying to I guess temper some of kind of what you what you went through as a player versus what, what somebody else might. Um, and, and really just, just kind of take as hard as it is, take some of your experiences out of it because you're different than a lot of these players. And I, I think, you know, talk about Rico Noel just briefly before we kind of got on and because he played center field, like I was really hard on Rico. Now Rico's one of the guys I would say was much better center fielder than I ever was. Um, but I was really hard on him originally because because of my playing experiences. So so that was kind of early in my in my scouting career. Um, so now I, I I try to understand that the game is hard, but it's also different. Players now are different. Um, expectations are different, and and really I was probably not as talented as most of these guys I I see. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to kind of fake it and do all the little things really really well to kind of get uh, I guess where I was. So. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's just different, but yeah, I, I think, you know, seeing similarities in guys more that I played with or against is kind of what I reflect on more than anything, how I can compare them to guys that, that made it maybe guys that didn't make it that I thought would have made it, you know? So I think that's probably what I pull more from, from my experience playing than, than just, myself, my personal, you know, game and, and how I did it. Yeah, you mentioned some of the guys you played with who made it. Uh, Dave Bush was a teammate of yours at Wake Forest. Corey Sullivan was a teammate of yours at Wake Forest. Both guys who went on to have some some pretty solid big league careers. And obviously playing in the ACC at that time, you were facing some, some great, great players. Who are some of the guys you feel like you've gone back and thought a lot about as, oh, okay, I saw this guy and this is what it took to become – whether it's a star or an everyday big leaguer and you find yourself using as kind of a measuring stick sometimes. Yeah. So, so Corey and I never played with each other. He was actually the two years prior to me at wake, but, but he was back and obviously a great, a great reference for, for me when I did get to wake. Um, 
kind of learning from him. But yeah, Dave Bush, uh, I mean, consummate professional just on and off the field, the things he did. Um, you know, I think think to some of the guys in the minor leagues that that really stood out as well. Ian Kinsler, we were the same draft year and just just watching his career kind of take off and you know, and and really it's about the work that guys put in on and off the field and and just realizing, you know, everybody's time is different of when they you know, when they when they succeed. I saw this I saw that I can't take credit for this this quote, but I saw it the other day and it was like every bag of popcorn each kernel pops at a different time. So it's <laughs> It, it, eventually guys get, you know, some guys that might not be told mid late 20, some guys it's earlier. So taking that into consideration and liking, liking players for, you know, what they can do now, but also kind of seeing into the future a little bit and, and understanding why, why they may get better. Where would you say uh, you popped when you blossomed? I, I don't, I'm still waiting for that moment. I, I still, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, eye-opening experience getting to double a and seeing players like matt kemp who are five six years younger than you joey Votto, and and seeing how easy the game came to them versus how much effort i had to put in every single day so uh had a great experience you know obviously learned a ton and enjoyed it but um some guys are just built a little bit differently yeah that's for sure i think everyone can relate to uh you know being at, at some level and there's guys who just make the game look easy and and i think it's interesting though. It is a testament to you on the flip side because, you know, you had a lot of things kind of stacked against you. You were born in South Dakota, went to high school in Minnesota. You know, not baseball hotbeds. Uh, you're, you're listed at five foot eight, 165 pounds. Certainly not the biggest guy. Went to junior college. I mean, you really had to fight at every level, but you did get there. You made your way to a major college program. You were an all-conference performer. Won some All-America honors. Got drafted. How much, you know, know knowing the work it takes and having that work ethic how much has that influenced just your life as a whole but also kind of how you view players as a scout yeah i mean i i think for me it's that's that's what i had to do i had to find ways to be successful i mean i i, I got to college at about 145 pounds so it wasn't like you know and i got to pro ball at 165 pounds so um i was always smaller i was always undersized so i had to be really good at all the things that i could do and then still try to work at the things maybe i, I couldn't do you know um obviously i don't ever tell people if, if they're looking at my stats i don't ever say look at my power numbers because that's just <laughs> not something i was great at right but i got i got really good at being an outfielder i got really good at you know refusing to strike out um I mean, for example, I got DH four when I was 10, I'd play center field and get DH four, but I loved playing so much and I took so much pride in being really good in the outfield. And it, it was like, okay, well, this is what I have to be really good at. Let me get really good at this and I'll keep working at the other stuff. So, um, and it just, you know, it takes time. Like I said, everyone's game comes differently, but I think, I think being able to become really good at the things that you are good at while also not just focusing on things maybe you're you're less advanced in is is key because a lot of times we look at our faults that's the easy thing right well i i don't do this well i'm just gonna work on that well work on that yeah but why don't you get really really good at the other things that you can do i mean i think that's important too so yeah i mean obviously the work it, it now with the technology and advancements and nutrition and, and strength training and, and all the other things that are out there for baseball people um, if you're not willing to work at it, there's plenty of other people out there that will, and, and you'll get passed by. So finding those guys that are willing to work and, and do it at a, at another level beyond, you know, just every kid, every kid you talk to says, I'm a hard worker. Well, everybody's idea of hard work is different. So kind of digging into what that really, really means for that, that individual is, is very important. Absolutely. So uh, I actually have pulled up here your 2003 draft scouting report, Baseball America. You want to hear it? Uh, I mean, let's let's go for it. Barasa is very similar to former Wake Forest star Corey Sullivan, a 2001 seventh round pick of the Rockies as a senior. Both are diminutive center fielders with plate discipline, speed and instincts, and both starred in the Cape Cod League, where Barasa finished second in the batting race last summer. Four inches shorter than Sullivan, Barasa doesn't have his gap power and is more of a slap-and-run style hitter. His defense and leadoff skills will make him an attractive senior sign 
who could go three rounds higher than Sullivan did. What do you think? How, what's uh, what's the accuracy rate on that one? Would you say? I, I think Corey's not four inches taller than me. I won't give him that, <laughs> but I'm probably not quite the player Corey was either. Corey was one of the most competitive people I think I've ever been around. So I think that alone was was you know his will to succeed and and as much as I feel like I have that, like his was was on another level for sure. So I I mean that was the separator for him. Um, yeah, he was super, super competitive in everything he did. Absolutely. So you mentioned this earlier, you know, you got drafted and you made your way up to double A in the Padres system. You spent a few years with the Rangers and made your way over to the Padres system. And, you know, you had some success early on. I look at, you know, your first full season at Clinton in the Midwest League, you know, hit 290, th- hit 380, you know, 387 on base percentage, stole some bases, no homers. But, but as you mentioned, power wasn't your game. Um, but but as you mentioned, as you moved up to higher levels, look, the, the game gets tougher and double A is kind of where you topped out. What for you were some of the things you saw kind of that that big jump? Because traditionally, you know, the common wisdom is high to double A is the biggest jump to make in the minor leagues and, and where guys really get separated out. Yeah, and I was I was not in double A very long. I ended up having shoulder surgery, I think, that year and I, I never got back, but it was it was definitely, I mean, every good player you see at high A, that's everybody in double A. It's, it's, it's the velo and the command control. It's the stuff. It's the, you know, it's the power and the, in the hit. Um, yeah, just every night was, a, it was, there was never an easy night to go up there and get at bats, you know, and then get late in games and you're facing really, really good, you know, pen arms and, and every starters they're trying to, you know, they're there for a reason, I guess you, you could say. So, so that was for sure the biggest jump. For me, um, now I would have liked to have gone back and given it another shot, but it it was just it was definitely where the game separated for me, and I feel like that's probably similar to that jump to the major leagues, right? Like, yeah, everyone's good, but now it's it's that next level of good, right? Like you you see you see it all come together. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. You finished up your career with a year in Indy Ball, St. Paul Saints. You were a, an all-star that year in the independent leagues. Then you kind of reach the point where a lot of players, you know, it's it's the moment they dread, but they all know is coming at some point. Um, playing career ends, looking what to do next. You ended up hooking out with the Red Sox as a baseball operations intern. How did that come about, and, and how did you know that staying in baseball was the right path for you? Um, yeah, I... I mean, I, I think I've been lucky to be around a lot of good baseball people. Um, and I don't think going into that winter, that off season, like my plan was to necessarily be done. I was kind of working the off season, probably planning to kind of go back and play again. Um, I enjoyed playing. I had a really hard time once I chose to stop playing. Just, I think going, going from playing to, to being in an office was tough, but but I, I remember uh, Michael Holmes, scouting director of the Giants, reached out to me, um, you know, and Mike Rickard, who, you know, obviously with Boston still, um, had reached out to him about anybody looking to kind of to get in that he thought would be a fit. So uh, I, I think originally I was supposed to be down in Florida, kind of do a little scouting, a little player development, a little, front, you know, kind of office stuff. Um, it ended up turning into an advanced scouting out of Boston, uh, kind of more in the office, um, working with like Ben Crockett and, and all those guys, you know, Theo and Jed and all those guys, Ben Sherrington. Um, so obviously a great experience, um, but tough to go from, like I said, being outdoors, being on the field to now just being in the office. That was a, it was, it was great learning, great experience, but, but a tough transition the way I did it. Um, you know, but, but obviously it opened up some doors. It opened up a chance for me to, to, to stay in the game, to work, to kind of start, start my professional career um, on this side of, on this side of the game. So um, definitely very grateful for that opportunity and, and being around, you know, a lot of the, the better minds in baseball for sure. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, Ben Charrington, a lot of other guys who've had long successful careers in the game. What were some of the biggest things you learned being surrounded by such a talented group of, of evaluators and baseball people? Yeah, just, I mean, just the way they think about the game differently than, than you do as a player, you do as on the field where it's, you know, just, just such a broader picture of, 
of what's important, um, you know, in, in kind of finding talent, acquiring talent, evaluating talent. Um, you know, I had had some smart people tell me if you can evaluate talent, then nobody in this game will ever question you. And I, I kind of took that to heart um, when, when choosing that following year to go into scouting versus kind of stay in the office. I, I think it's probably what I wanted to hear at the time as I, as I needed, felt the need to get back out outside. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, the, the depth and the knowledge of information and, you know, how much information they're try, trying to acquire and sort through, it was, it was definitely eye-opening, um, and obviously it's continued to evolve to, to where we're at today. Um, you know, with the, the analytics and, and those those staffs just growing exponentially, um, and adding adding so much to each draft room and in each front office. Absolutely. So you mentioned getting back outside after that stint with the Red Sox as a baseball ops intern. You got your first job in scouting, working for the Padres as their Mid Atlantic uh, Region Area Scout. How did that jump come about, and and what did you kind of you know learn from that? I mean, your first years as a scout are always just so 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 educational. Um, yeah, how did that job come about, and and what were some of the things you picked up from that first job as a scout? Yeah, so towards the end of '08, I was the, the Red Sox had sent me out to scout school um, in Arizona with with the scouting bureau. I was out there. I actually interviewed with the Diamondbacks for for their advanced job. And then within, I think a week of that, um, got a call from the Padres, Bill, Bill Gate and chief, um, who actually is another South Dakota guy, um, knew my uncle, obviously had scouted me, um, didn't really have a relationship with chief at that point, but, uh, but he knew of me and knew who I was. Um, and then Grady Fuson, who had drafted me and then had signed me in San Diego, you know, still in San Diego. So, so there's some connection there through, through Grady. I, I, I said, you know, he gave me three jobs. I got fired from two of them. So I, I didn't want to let him fire, or, you know, not that he fired me from them, but uh, I didn't want to be the third strike on, on that one. So, so that's how, you know, the, just the conversation started. And I think my wa- wantingness, I guess, to, to get back out and be around the game a little bit more, you know, hands-on um, is kind of what led me to, to, choose that route yeah absolutely i mean all of a sudden you find yourself driving up and down the eastern seaboard you know scouting the mid-atlantic region um yeah. you know just what were some of the the biggest things that you had to pick up you know what were the hardest parts of the learning curve because again you're talking about really you know in three years you've had three different jobs now you're going from an indie ball player to working in an office to now an area scout you know there's also some similarities and some lessons that carry through all those jobs but they are three distinct jobs that have different skill sets required yeah um i think the the work and being on the ground and being out every day that was the easy part for me it's just just going just get in the car and go um there'd be weekends if you remember that hopefully i'm remembering this right but that was like the dustin ackley you know those drafts but i i had north carolina up through um i think maryland dc and then all the way to kentucky so there'd be mornings where i'd wake up in raleigh drive to Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky to see a James Paxton and then drive back to, to Chapel Hill to see um, Adam Warren or, you know, or I think it was Matt, uh, Matt White, maybe. Is that right? I'm, I might be mixing up my ears now, but um, but it was it was it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. But I just I think I just jumped in and went and kind of learned, um, learned by making mistakes learned by listening to veteran guys getting around people who had been doing it and done a good job with it um you know there's there's a good crew of scouts in in that carolina and mid-atlantic region at the time who who i I still you know obviously still remain you know close with that i just kind of fed off and and tried to be around as much as possible and um and just pick their brains really you know so um and i think you in this game, you learn by making those mistakes. I mean, it's, those are the ones we remember, right? Not we remember those probably more so than the ones we feel like we got right. So, um, just, just doing it and, you know, and, and trying to figure it out along the way and not being afraid to make that mistake. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned making mistakes and learning from them. What, what was an early mistake you made that, you know, kind of, you know, taught you something that you've been able to hold on through for your career? 
Oh man, we could we could go many different places with this. But <laughs> I, I, there was a player, and this was maybe a year or two in. Um, there was a player, won't say their name, but you know, had just kind of gotten the area. Um, really good, talented individual who who maybe had some question marks off the field, and you know, you just made one comment. I remember making one comment in front of people in, in our organization, um, more as a joke, but it stuck. It, that that never it never went away. They never forgot that. Um, in my mind, it it was a joke, but that stuck with that player. So, just it, it taught me to be conscientious of what you say about players, about about these people, you know, because it it sticks with them. You know, it can be that can be their athletic ability, that can be their off the field stuff. It, it it's uh, you know, so be be accurate with what you say. Don't just say something to say something. Um, and I'm sure I still make the mistake, but I, I try to be more conscientious of it, you know, throughout, uh, you know, when I'm talking about players, presenting players, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And you mentioned being in an area with so much talent. I mean, you talk about just that North Carolina team during those years. I mean, you had Matt Harvey, you had Kyle Seeger, you had Alex White, you had Jacob Stallings, um, you had Brian Moran, you had Adam Warren, you had, you know, a lot of guys who went on to, you know, have substantial big league careers. And and I feel like that was probably a great early educational experience for you to calibrate of, okay, this is what it looks like. This is, this is what these guys look like at this level who will eventually make it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, now you don't find that out for a few more years. Right. It so takes a few years to figure it out, but yeah. But, but, but definitely the, you know, you, you, you go in, you know, the hype, you know, what it is. I mean, Will Myers, I remember Will Myers was like the first high school player, the first player I met with, first player I saw. So um, you're trying to, you know, you're, you like, you just don't know where to go. I think that was, you, you almost sit on the fence a little bit because you're like, well, I think I like this, but what does that mean? You know, just figuring out where these guys fit in a draft, what they end up becoming, you know, I didn't, obviously my, that when it comes back to my experience as a high school kid, like, I was so far removed from thinking about the draft that you always dreamed about wanting to play, but I mean, I wasn't even, that wasn't even something in my, you know, that, that could, could happen. So thinking about players that I saw in high school that were ready to do that, few and far between, especially, you know, no, no offense to Minnesota, but we just, we, we just didn't have that growing up. So um, yeah, it was, it's, it was very interesting. And, and, you know, you look back now and, it's kind of neat to think about some of those, like there's a lot of big leaguers that came out of that, that area in those four or five years that I scouted there. So, um, you know, some, some you thought you got right. Some you definitely were wrong and some you missed completely. So it just, uh, I think that's the nature of the business is you, you can't, you can't always be tied to the results as long as you go through the process and, and do the work the right way and have the information and, and, you know, and you just make the call and, you kind of live with it. Absolutely. Well, one of the guys you got right was Rico Noel. Uh, you drafted him out of Coastal Carolina in the fifth round in 2010. He ended up becoming your first big leaguer. Um, what were some things you liked about Rico? And and then what was it like for you, you know, watching him go through the minors and eventually become your first big leaguer back in uh, 2015? Yeah, I think, um, like, I, like I said earlier, you know, I, I was hard on Rico as a center fielder because it was – it was near and dear to my heart, and I was still young enough to where I, I felt like I could still do it. Maybe, definitely, could, definitely couldn't. Um, but Rico was really, really good. Um, he he could absolutely cover ground in the outfield, um, and I think getting to know Rico, you just saw his passion for playing the game, um, and I, I think a testament to that is the fact that. He might still be playing. I, I think he finally maybe gave it up, he, but he, I know he's still been playing in Mexico and, um, you know, still been having success. So um, not only that, but the ability to steal bases, um, which, you know, I, I like to see the games kind of coming back to. Um, I mean, he was a threat every time he got on to, to make something happen, get in the scoring position and um, just kind of be that typical leadoff type, type guy. Um, I wish he would have gotten up with the Padres, but, you know, Got, got a chance to get up there with the Yankees and um, you know, get his feet wet. So it was, 
it was fun to follow his journey and, and honestly continue to follow it, you know, from afar a little bit. Yeah, he still played up through last year down in Mexico. So uh, yeah, had a long, yeah. long, long career in professional baseball. You were with the Padres through 2013, and then you actually made the move into college coaching. Uh, you joined the University of Cincinnati's coaching staff. What led to that decision and how did it come about? So I, I think um, kind of playing, going through it, I never necessarily thought I would be a scout like that. I always thought I'd coach. So I always had that inkling to want to try that. Um, just the timing was never right. Like the season in baseball and kind of when they generally hire coaches, it, it never really necessarily lined up. Plus I wasn't always sure I was done playing. So, um, so it was kind of one of those things where time of my, at that time in my life had, had, you know, had our first, my wife and I had our first kind of child and we're figuring things out and we're, we're in, you know, Burlington, North Carolina, um, and it just happened to reconnect with with Ty Neal, who who had coached um, a year in the Cape when I was playing up there, and and you know he had just gotten the Cincinnati job, and um, gave me the opportunity to, to kind of go up there and join his staff, and um, you know very very fortunate, you know it only lasted two years, some but you know didn't probably didn't work the way I wanted, maybe didn't work the way Ty wanted it. Um, but was very fortunate to get that opportunity to get up to Cincinnati and, and kind of, you know, be around it on that side of the ball, obviously be around some good players, um, you know, and um, it's kind of put me in position to kind of be where I'm at right now, really. Yeah, you mentioned that things didn't necessarily go the way you wanted. Uh, you were an assistant coach and a hitting coach. What were some of the challenges and maybe what, what were some of the things that didn't go the way you had hoped? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the obvious one for me is, is being able to communicate, um, you know, things that maybe I just did naturally or, or the way I did things um, isn't always the way others understand it. So I think the communication piece in, in coaching is huge. Um, so that was a big, that was a big learning, learning curve for me. I, I thought, you know, the recruiting piece and being out and evaluating, that was something I was probably more comfortable with than being there and talking, hitting and game planning and, um, you know, that, that side of it, because as a player, I just went out and I did it, you know, I, I never, I, I tried not to think as much. Um, I tried to use my experiences more so than hearing something from others, I guess, you know, in terms of the game. So, um, so that was just kind of, you know, very eye-opening experience, I, I guess you, sh you can say, um, humbling a little bit. Um, but like I said, got to be around good players, got to be around some good baseball people, um, tried to take some of those experiences and, and obviously still use them today. So I have to ask, one of the players you had uh, was Ian Happ as an underclassman. Did you know right away this was a guy who was going to be, you know, a successful big leader? Did you put your scouting cap on and see it right away? Um, yes. At the same time, <laughs> you, you try to, you know, you try to, pick Ian apart and break him down and, and try to find some of those weaknesses for him to, to work on. Um, I can say I probably had very little, if any, um, to add to Ian. Ian is a, obviously a talented, super talented, um, very intelligent, very confident. You know, Ian, Ian didn't necessarily need a hitting guy. He didn't need me. Didn't, didn't need, you know, but, I think what got me with Ian was if you got Ian, you could tell him something and he was able to do it. So that was, for me, it was like, okay, it's not that he can't do these things. It's just that his process, the way he works, he's, he's focused on the things that he's, you know, trying to do. Um, but, but when I challenged him to do a few things, you know, here and there, it was like, okay, he can do, he can do kind of whatever he wants. He just, it just had to be Ian's idea, which, which I, I, I honestly, it was, it made me reflect on my career and wish I was a little more stubborn at times as well. So, um, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that in a negative way, like being stubborn in this game can be a good thing because there's a lot of things going on. A lot of people trying to change you and, and Ian, Ian had his, his paths kind of in his mind and plan and, and he went about it. Absolutely. So you wrap up your stint in Cincinnati, jump back into scouting. The Pirates hire you on as an area scout. How did that transition come about? 
Um, I had actually interviewed for a couple of jobs in scouting within the same time frame. Um, I luckily had known a couple of the couple of scouts that were with Pittsburgh. I knew them from my time in the Carolinas, um, and so you know, obviously knew a few of the other ones from being around the game. But um, but they gave me an opportunity to come in, and and I I mean I remember vividly the interview going into PNC, sitting in the interview, um, felt like be, be very vulnerable and honest about kind of who I was and my path and, you know, my, what I consider my inefficiencies and the things I, I can and can't do. And, um, I got in the car, started driving back to Cincinnati, told my wife, I go, wow, these are really, really good people. I'd love to work for them, but I don't think I'm getting this job. Um, you know, and, uh, Fortunately, I, I did. Um, I've been able to, to, you know, be be through eight drafts with really a lot of the same people in that room, and um, they've all helped me grow grow tremendously. And I, I couldn't be couldn't be any more thankful for for the experience with with Pittsburgh so far. Absolutely. So join the Pirates in 2016. Go through the first few drafts with them. As you move out of the pandemic in 2021, it's a big opportunity for the franchise. Pirates have the number one overall pick in the draft. You know it. The entire scouting department knows it. What are the conversations like as a group going into that spring, knowing you have the number one overall pick and the challenges involved given you didn't have a Cape Cod League season the year before. You didn't have a full college season the year before. What were those conversations like going into that 2021 spring? Um, I don't know if they were any different from any other year really it's just you know i think we try to take pride in getting the information and, and putting in the work and and you know doing i guess everything we can and exhausting all options um so it from that perspective on what was asked differently i i think we just with the restrictions and limitations we were asked to do do everything we could um it was obviously different and I don't want to jump ahead because I'm sure you have questions, but when it comes to getting to know these guys, we're used to sitting face to face. Right. And we didn't get those opportunities. We, we did this, we, we hopped on a zoom call and that's kind of the extent of, of what you got to, to get to know somebody. Um, so weirdly uh, with Henry, I, I didn't really get to shake his hand until after we drafted him. Uh, you know, it was, it was strange in that, in that it was a different process, but um, in terms of, you know, seeing him play, kind of gathering information, talking to, to, to the right people. And, um, you know, fortunate fortunate that Eddie Charles, who's our Northeast area scout, did a tremendous job with, with Henry um, out of high school. So I felt like I had a, a really big head start. And, and honestly, I owe a lot of kind of that background piece to him. Um, you know, so when it's, you know, guys say, it's, I, I got a first rounder. I kind of feel like we did um, more so than, so than I did. So um, yeah, so it was different, but it was, you know, the evaluating and getting to see baseball again was, was the, the best part and the part we enjoy the most. Absolutely. Yeah. Henry had arrived at Louisville in 2019, played a little bit as a freshman, briefly, briefly played in the Cape Cod week that summer, came back in 2020, got off to a really good start before the pandemic hit. When was the first time you saw Henry play and just, you know, what were your early impressions of him from those, you know, those very, very early views? Yeah. So that fall, I guess, before 2019 was, was probably um, the first time I saw, saw Henry. Um, and just watching him play, even as a freshman, I think, you know, you notice right away the intensity, the, the aggressiveness he plays. Um, just, just the intent and the willingness and want to win and, and be successful. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think anyone ever questions how much Henry wants it. And, and it, it shows, it shows the second you, you know, he puts on the uniform and gets on the field. So, um, I mean, that's the first thing that definitely stood out to me. Absolutely. Again, you, you see him progress again and played a little bit that freshman year, went to the Cape and, and got off to a really, really good start his sophomore year, you know, watching him those early games, did you feel like he was turning a corner a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, playing in the AC as a freshman is, is tough. I don't feel like he was out of place then. I know, you know, and I think getting to know Henry later, like the amount of pressure he puts on himself, 
um, to be successful. I, I wouldn't say he turned a corner. I just think he gained some experience and some knowledge and kind of understood what it took. And then he, then he was able to apply it. So um, for me, he, he was always in a good spot. He stood out even as a freshman. Um, he showed you tools um, and, and obviously he just competed his tail off. So it was, it, it was all there. It just, yeah, just kind of took that next step. I think probably as a sophomore, him being able to do it every single day and kind of be relied on for that. So he was, you know, it was, it was fun to watch the progress. Absolutely. We talked about this, you know, generally speaking, how difficult was scouting through the rest of that year? Cause we talk about, you know, 2020 seasons canceled due to the pandemic scouts around the country are grounded. There's no Cape colleague. There's no team USA. You know, all, all the things that you're used to doing, the information you're used to gathering, the, the amount of looks you're used to getting, that's all gone now. And now you have to go into the 2021 draft cycle. There's still some restrictions in various parts of the country. You mentioned, you know, not being able to meet kids the same way you would have otherwise. I mean, how difficult was it to get a, a gauge on these players and feel really good about your evaluations, given how much more limited your looks were, whether that's for Henry or any other player? Um. I think I'm probably fortunate that I saw Louisville a ton, you know, obviously they've been a very successful program. So um, the amount of games and, and time seeing him, I, I didn't feel like I was short in that aspect. It, it was probably more the off the field, the, the being around him, meeting him in person, kind of, you know, you, you, you can always hear about players and what they're like and what they're about, but until you really, get a chance to experience it, I think it, it doesn't always necessarily sink in. So, so that was really the only, the only part that was different. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of not having that, that summer, and, and I think that kind of trailed on for a couple of years in terms of these guys, just not having the track record, being able to play. I mean, not, not just that draft year or the year after, but the couple you know, the freshmen that lost a bunch of time, um, the sophomores that lost a bunch of time playing, so they were affected two, two, three years down the road. Um, and just in terms of at bats and experience um, was was the biggest thing. But I mean, I think Henry, we had enough depth, enough you know, kind of knowledge from him, him as a as a high school player, um, to to feel good about you know who he was and and what he was, and you know, no matter what you felt about the talent and the ability level, like the one thing you knew Henry would be able to handle is, is being the first overall pick, um, being able to handle that pressure and, and, and honestly wear it, wear it as like a badge of honor and, and, you know, it, it not affect him one, one way or the other. Yeah. So, I mean, that junior year, Henry Davis comes into the year known as a prospect, someone that was considered, you know, a potential first rounder. But but I think it's fair to say coming in, he wasn't seen as maybe a guy in the mix for the number one overall pick. And throughout that spring, just continues to perform, has one of the best seasons in the country in college baseball offensively, uh, does some really good things defensively. What were you seeing from Henry that spring? What what jumps did he take? And, and when for you was it, okay, this guy very legitimately could be our pick at number one? Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, Henry, I apologize now, but going into that year, I, I wouldn't have thought that either, um, you know, so, but he just, he just continued to perform. I mean, he, he obviously caught um, just about every day, arm strength, you know, toughness, um, tried to improve. I, I think that's it. Like the things that he you maybe pick apart and things that he didn't do well were all things you thought he could and would get better at. Um you know, and, and obviously offensively, like it's strength, it's power, but he, he doesn't just sell out for power. I mean, he shows some ability to work counts and hit and, and he puts the ball in play and hits the ball hard all over the, all over the ballpark. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think we just, you know, for me, I just kept going back in to see him and kept, you know, like I said, a, a player you like, you just pick him apart more. So I, I probably picked him apart too much, but I think, at the end of the day, like he just kind of kept doing the things that he needed to do to be successful and compete and win. And, um, and that just kept him in, in everybody's mind, you know, they'd come in and see him and you, you kind of just keep that in the front of your head and it doesn't go away. At what point in the spring would you say, did you think he could be the number one overall pick? I, I would feel comfortable doing that now. 
Um, I'll tell you when I found out we were taking him was about 30 minutes before we did. And, and I had said, and I wasn't in the draft room, but I, I mean, it was kind of a surreal feeling like, whoa. Um, so, you know, and then you start thinking about how many guys actually get a chance to get the first overall pick in the, in the draft as a scout. And it, it was kind of a humbling, humbling moment. Um, I remember just sitting there with my youngest daughter, we were home alone and I was working, you know, watching and kind of on zoom and, um, it was neat. So I, yeah, to, to, to sit there and say, I thought he was going one overall. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't know. He said, you know, cause he heard all year about all the other names that the Mar- Marcelo Meyer and Waller and, and all those guys. Right. So you just figure those are the guys that, that we're bearing down on. And, um, you know, I, I think he just, just kept on Henry and kept getting the information, kept seeing him play and, and just kind of put it all together at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, what's the process like for scouting a guy who who is in the mix in terms of obviously you see him, but so many guys in the organization come through. T- take us through that process. I mean, you have your initial looks. You mentioned going back to high school, you guys had reports on them. Um, throughout that spring, you know, how does that process unfold of, of who comes in and how often they come in and, and how did that all kind of play out for Henry? Yeah, and I think with Louisville, it's different, right? Because guys are coming in to see Louisville every year for the most part. Um, they've obviously had had guys that needed to be seen at the top of the draft for, for years. So it didn't really change anything for me. Um, you know, it, guys knew where Louisville was, guys knew how to get there, guys could see them in the ACC against other quality teams. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't this different experience, you know, uh, like a high school kid that's, that's in a, in a rural area that you feel like you got to be there every time someone's in town. I mean, Louisville just, they get seen. So um, it was, and they're an easy school for me to see, you know, obviously being one of my best, you know, colleges in, in my area. So you'd see them a lot in midweek versus other teams. So you just, you just got to see a lot of, a lot of footage uh, of Henry and, and the rest of that team. Um, and yeah, no, no different probably than, than any other year. You just kind of continue to bear down and not lose sight of any of them. How many times would you say you saw Henry Davis play that year? Uh, I think game-wise, I want to say 13, but it was probably that 13 to 15 range. You mentioned, you know, you were hard on him, you know, saw him a lot. It happens. The more you see guys, you start picking them apart. You know, what were – you mentioned you you really, really liked the bat, the power, didn't have to sell out for it. What were the things that you did kind of pick apart and say, okay, these are the main things he's going to have to work on? Yeah, I think a lot of it was defensively, you know, the, the, the catching, the receiving, um, just just how much he believed he could be back there, where, you know, would that affect his, his offensive value if, if he's forced to, to stay behind the dish? Um, and I think, you know, I think the base thing with catching is guys got to want to do it, and, and Henry wanted to do it more than anybody. Um, and I think he, he was able to pick up on a lot in his first, first year of pro ball, just – back there defensively that have helped um you know the henry's henry's demeanor is it's it's very intense so i think how he handles pitching staffs how he how he slows the game down and controls it um versus you know wanting to just go 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 sometimes sometimes it needs a little break and he's all gas um so just you know just trying to sort that out like how does that affect you once you get you know, maybe not as much as an A ball, but once you get in double A, triple A, you know, the game's already sped up enough. Like, are you able to continue to slow it down uh, behind the dish? So I think those were the biggest questions in, in the areas that I probably picked him apart the most. Um, but it all came back to like who Henry was and, and, and what he was about and just his willingness to continue to work and, and want to get better. And uh, I mean, I think that made you believe that he could do it and would do it. Yep. What was your confidence level? He would stay behind the plate. Uh, I mean, I think he's yeah. I think he's fine. You know, I think he's he's going to find a way to be good at it, everything he does. I mean, that's just who he is. So, um, yeah. But I, but I also think he just wants to play, and he just wanted to be in the big leagues, and he just wants to win. So, wh- whichever gets in there the fastest was probably what he he was okay with. Uh, 
but I know if you ask him, he's definitely still a catcher and wants to wants to be back there and wants to be in control. For sure. Was there a, a specific moment that stood out for you at, at all that spring? A specific game where you at where it's just like, wow, you know, this is this this is the real deal. Um, I <laughs> I think I don't know if this this probably doesn't count towards what you're looking for, but there was a weekend series and Henry went over the series. And I was with, you know, I was with Steve Sanders, our assistant GM. And Steve finally got in the car and left. And the game ended up, I think, going nine. They ended up tying. I, he got one more at bat that he, he probably wasn't going to get. And, and, of course, he hits a home run. So he was over the series. But that's just like he just never stops. I, I think that's, you know, it, he, he struggled for a series. Not that he was taking bad at bats. Or he just he was over. Um, but he was always just one swing away from, from changing the game, one throw away from impacting something defensively. Um, you know, his ability to run, you know, even as a big guy, as a catcher, like he, he impacted games with, with his legs getting down the line and putting pressure on defenses. So um, it was just a combination of him just never stopping, just always being the same guy day in and day out. Um, and, you know, it, it may rub, rub some people the wrong way along the way because he is very intense. But I think, I think with Henry, it all comes from from a good spot. If if he's on your side, he's got your back till till the end. Um, and and I think that's just kind of who he is. And you mentioned not being able to get a chance to meet him in person, but you have Zoom calls with him. What did you pick up from those, and and just you know what was that dynamic like? Because as you mentioned, it, it's not what you were used to, but you have to adjust because it's just the time we were in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all all the same stuff I've I've really just talked about. Like yeah. he's intense, he's 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 full full go all the time, um, with focus on being successful and accomplishing goals that he sets. Um, you know, we we joke that it's it's got to be hard being Henry. And that's that's more of a compliment because he holds himself to such a high standard, um, you know, on the field, off the field, just just in life in general, um, that it may be tough to live up to it, but he's got this intense passion and focus to do it, and, and he just doesn't seem to stop. So, I mean, it comes across. It, it definitely comes across in talking with Henry, and then once you meet him in person, it, it's, it's the same. Um, you know, I, I think what speaks to Henry is the – the first time we saw each other that fall, you know, that next fall, he walks out with a signed bat saying, thank you, shakes my hand, hands it to me. You know, I, and no offense because I've, I've drafted a lot of great people, great humans, great players, but no one's ever come and thanked me and given me, you know what I mean? And then they thanked me, but they, it's never been that intentional to come and, and seek me out. So it was, it was kind of a humbling and, and, and very neat experience. And, you know, as a guy that doesn't collect a whole lot of memorabilia, I've got that one. I've got that one in my office at home. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that place that's pretty special. You know, it's you're you get the number one overall pick in the draft. First chance you get to meet him comes out and gives you a signed bat, just has a thank you. And you know, as a scout, sometimes the, the job can feel pretty thankless. I mean, just how meaningful what was that to you? Well, I guess first and foremost, just even getting any first round pick, but especially number one overall pick, is is really really special. But then for him to do that, it just seems to take it to another level. Yeah, it was, it, you know, and it, it all comes back to, I think, everything that was done with the work on Henry beforehand, you know, with Eddie. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I called and texted Eddie right away and said, just just so you know, this is, you know, you're spot on on, on kind of who you who you thought Henry was. So, um, but it was, it was a cool, it was a cool moment. You know, one of those moments you're, that you just kind of remember, like, oh, that was, that was awesome. That was awesome. Absolutely. So Henry goes out. You know, has has some injuries his first full season, but still, you know, makes his way up to Double A, does some good things. Uh, here he is, his second full season as a professional, reaches the majors. June nineteenth, gets the call for his big league debut against the Cubs. Uh, I have to ask, did you go to the game? Were you watching the game? Where were you for his big league debut? I was definitely watching. We uh, unfortunately, I had my East Coast Pro tryout that next day at in Cincinnati. I had to be there about six thirty and seven in the morning. So. Um, unfortunately was not able to get up there not able to see it, but was watching, was watching intently the night before got to, got to see the first, you know, his first hit. And, um, it was, it was a cool moment. It was a cool moment. A few, few, uh, fist pumps and high fives with, you know, some family and friends around. So 
Um, hoping to hoping to get up there and see him soon, but uh, have not not seen it in person yet. Yeah, I was going to say that first major league at bat facing Drew Smiley comes up double left field. I mean, fist pumps, high fives. Again, I, I go back to scouting can feel like such a thankless job and, and so much hard work for for little reward. I mean, a moment like that and just talking to other scouts who have experienced it, it, is that a moment where it just makes it all feel kind of worth it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I think you, you get worth um, – I think we get worth in other ways, maybe. But for me personally, as a scout, I, I I don't think I can. If we if we do it based off only the guys that make it to the big leagues, that's a tough that put that puts us in a tough spot. So, but knowing knowing how much he wanted it and just kind of the passion and and energy he brings to the to the table every day, I think it was. I felt good for Henry. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like I feel good for the player because I know how much it means to them, um, and you know just just kind of the the reward. Um, now I say reward, like that's not the way Henry probably sees it. He sees it as step, step one in the journey, you know, just start all over again. So, um, but it, yeah, it makes it, it's obviously it's better than not getting a guy the big league. So you got to enjoy it and appreciate it when you can. So. Absolutely. Well, Adam, thank you so, so much for joining us today to share your journey as a player and uh, the process of signing Henry Davis. We look forward to seeing Henry's continued success in the big leagues, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Once again, that was Pirates area scout Adam Barasa. And uh, yeah, just uh, again, really cool stories. I think what always stands out to me is just, you know, the process of, of, everything you take in and applying that forward. You know, we talk about his playing career. He was drafted in 2003, uh, got to Wake Forest uh, in the early 2000s. And here it was almost 20 years later, using all the knowledge he's gleaned for his playing career, his scouting career, his coaching career to, to help inform his decisions on, on who's the right guy and what are the things he needs to work on. And um, I also thought it was really interesting how we talked about with Henry Davis, being able to see the intensity without being able to be in the same room as him. Everything in 2021, as we all know, uh, a lot of COVID restrictions were still around and a lot of our lives were still on Zoom. And uh, Adam was accurately able to pick out that Henry Davis was going to be someone who had the drive and the determination to get there and get the most from his talent. And we've seen that Uh, Henry Davis coming up and making the majors in only two years and doing so despite being injured for a lot of his first full professional season as well. Uh, again, looks like a, a good pick early on for the Pirates, and Adam was a huge part in making that happen. This has been another episode of Behind the Plate presented by Baseball America. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Adam Barasa, I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.